You put in the work every day. Hours and hours. Training. But think about how much more focused you'd be with a coach. Welcome to the What's Up Podcast. What's Up Podcast? Where we'll explore all of your questions from climbing in the Dolomites to winning your local cycling events. This podcast is sponsored by Kyle Coaching, a results-oriented, data-driven coaching service for the working endurance athlete. Now your host, head coach of Kyle Coaching. This is Chuck Kyle. So we've always thought there was some type of a link between coffee and cycling and Today, I had the opportunity to have Dr. Jim Weinstein in with me and Alan Fisher, owner of Perk Coffee, P-E-R-C-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. And Dana is here, the economist extraordinaire, to talk about a little bit. Are we going to talk economics about coffee or just... Oh, uh, I, I took a class on the economics of coffee, so give me a whiteboard. I'm ready. So we're all together, socially distancing due to the COVID-19, but we thought this was a great opportunity to talk about coffee. So there's always been this relationship between cycling and coffee and coffee rides and the caffeine culture. And we had the social aspect of it. Hell, I even know that I've planned out some of my routes from coffee shop to coffee shop. And Jim's been on a couple of those rides with me down in Florida. You've stopped on Swift to get off and go to a coffee shop. That is true. (laughs) Good morning, you all. How's everybody doing? Great. Thanks for having us, Jack. Yeah, doing great. Thanks a lot. Oh, no worries. So let's start off talking about just kind of the culture of coffee within cycling. I mean, in 1969, Eddie Merckx was always famous about racing for FEMA Espresso, winning the Tour de France, and they were the first big company to do that. So what's been your experience on the culture of coffee within the cycling and endurance sports worlds? Well, thanks for having us on, Chuck. Really appreciate it. It's always good to talk about a topic of interest like this. So you're absolutely right. There's inextricable ties between coffee and cycling. And I know Alan's going to get a chance to talk about some of the sort of subdural ones, but let me just tell you this. Coffee has caffeine. Caffeine is addictive and it's ergogenic, meaning it has some benefit to the athlete. And so from that perspective, it should be no surprise that cyclists or athletes consume a lot of coffee. One, because it's addictive and two, because it actually helps them become better cyclists. Also, you know, there's that cultural piece that cycling is a European sport. Coffee is, is ingrained in the European culture. And we've just picked it up here in the States. I do think one area that we've messed up on, though, is a lot of cyclists, a lot of Americans just don't know what a good cup of coffee is. Where we get most of our caffeine in America, in fact, in the world, most of the caffeine comes from coffee. And most people just aren't doing it right. And so if we're going to drink coffee, if we're going to get caffeine, I am a big believer in a good espresso is better than a bad one. And isn't that why we have Alan on the line today? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And my coffee journey really started as a caffeine journey more than anything else. As a cyclist, I looked at caffeine as a way to help win races. And it was great for that. And I really just drank bad coffee as a caffeine delivery system for quite a while. And then had my first great cup of coffee. And it totally changed my trajectory. And I apply a lot of nerdery to the coffee world now. But it very much started as a byproduct of cycling. Where was your first great cup of coffee? Just out of curiosity. Or do you remember it? Yeah, absolutely. So my first actual great cup of coffee was so in the army, stationed in Savannah. My boss at the time, Luke, went to the farmer's market, bought a bag of coffee from some local guy and brought it back to the office. And we brewed in our little Mr. Coffee, whatever crappy coffee maker at the office. And it blew my freaking mind. It was Brazil Bobolink roasted by 
Philip Brown at Perk Coffee Roasters in a little 500 square foot space. And that was my introduction to great coffee and Perk. And this was a better part of a decade ago and uh, kind of been going down that journey ever since. So Jim, you kind of mentioned about that there may be effects outside of just on our minds. Caffeine, we've heard that it helps metabolize fat. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So we've learned a lot about how caffeine works over the past decade. So we originally came in worried about caffeine being a diuretic and thinking that caffeine worked by helping you mobilize and oxidize fat or fatty acids. And by doing that, it spared glycogen or muscle sugar so that as an athlete, you could ride further or longer or faster. Over the last few years, though, researchers have really put some really eloquent and, and, and wonderful studies together to show two things. One, that there's a genetic component, meaning we all respond to caffeine a little bit differently, but that that fatty acid oxidation piece is probably not where the ergogenic piece of caffeine is coming from. And a benefit for all of us is that they're finding out that caffeine is just not the diuretic we were worried about years and years ago. In fact, when you drink a cup of coffee, even a shot of espresso, the amount of fluid you take in is typically equal to or far more than, than you would excrete from the cup of coffee. So coffee can actually be either neutral or even hydrating to some folks. So no longer do we think that, that caffeine works because it's mobilizing nutrient stores. We actually believe it works on the central nervous system. And that is super interesting because it doesn't just make you think that you're not hurting as much as you are. You have this sort of dulling effect. Your rate of perceived exertion improves with caffeine. But there's also some really awesome cognitive effects too. And in the Air Force, you know, we give our operators and pilots and whatnot, we give them caffeine gum because we know that when it's absolutely critical for their cognitive function to be on point, that caffeine can actually have a positive benefit to that. So Alan, you and I were talking at the beginning of this and it looked like that you and I both have kind of the same pre-race schedule. Get on the rollers, get on the trainer, have some coffee, and about 45 minutes later, easily making race weight. That was your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. That's been part of my ritual for over a decade, whether it's a, a cycling race or an ultra race. It's like clockwork. Coffee, 45 minutes of warm up, or for an ultra, just kind of whatever your pre race ritual is. Make sure you've got toilet paper wipes and <laughs> you're ready to rock the race to the start line. There's some science behind that too. So, what caffeine is doing is its effect on the central nervous system. There's a prokinetic effect as well. And so, you know, people drink coffee and, and then it, it stimulates the movement of the gastrointestinal tract, peristalsis is called, and things just move through you. And interestingly, a little bit of caffeine and a lot of caffeine don't have the same effect. A lot of caffeine can actually cause diarrhea. For every athlete, like I was saying, it's genetic. You know, as, as a dietitian, I'll counsel an athlete, we'll try to find the right amount of caffeine that's a positive force to that individual and not a negative one. Like a lot of things in biology, and Dana, you can remind me of the curve of this, but there's a scientific principle where you initially give a little bit of something and you get a positive response, a little bit more, you get a greater response. You give too much, you go back down to the bottom again, you get a negative response, like a bell curve. And, and that's with caffeine too, that everyone has this point where more is not better and it's a little bit different for everybody. Hey Jim, I have a, a question for you. As somebody who, okay, my love of caffeine is a little different than I guess the guy love of caffeine for making race weight where, you know, the savoring of the coffee experience and what you would find in the European coffee cafe and things like that. But I was reading a book, Roar, by Stacey Sims, Dr. Stacey Sims, and talking about the different needs of women nutritionally and for recovery and exercise, especially as you get older. And I know that she has some thoughts on 
the role of Kathleen for women. And I was wondering when you're talking about, you know, it's different for each athlete. Can you make any broad generalizations about differences between men and women and the way that Kathleen plays in their systems? Sure. I um, mean, I'd love to get Alan's take on what he sees actually in the shop and how women respond differently. But I'll tell you this. First off, Dr. Stacey Sims is wonderful. Her book, Roar, is fantastic if you haven't read it. And she often has challenged me to think about how traditional science oftentimes studies, and even medicine, is based around males and how females are not males. She loves to say, you know, women are not small men. There are genetic differences. And she points out several in various good, well-published research of how women respond differently to caffeine than men do. So I'll leave it at that. It's still an emerging understanding for me on how women respond differently, but women definitely respond differently to men. It's why the products that she was a part of making, Osmo Nutrition, you know, treat their female-specific carbohydrate drinks differently than the male ones with caffeine for just that reason. So yes, there are definitely some differences between males and females. And two, coffee is more than just caffeine. I mean, it's the single most chemically complex substance that we as humans put into our body. It's got over 900 aromatic substances alone that make up coffee. Some of the effects that we've even talked about are complicated by the fact that it's not just caffeine. So if you've ever had decaf coffee and still needed to go to the bathroom, there's more going on than just the caffeine at play. So to say that just caffeine has a different effect on men and women is one of literally thousands of compounds that are having that effect as well. So since we have you uh, kind of rolling here, Alan, let's talk coffee beyond the caffeine. Over the last decade, what is the biggest nugget of information you come out being now in the coffee industry? Coffee is continuing to evolve in our, our understanding of it and how to source it and roast it and everything like that. But the biggest thing I would say is for people at home, like there is amazing, amazing coffee out there. It's kind of like the craft beer industry. We're just you know lagging behind it a little bit. Local doesn't necessarily always mean better, but there are great local roasters out there. If your coffee is dark and oily, it's going to taste burnt the same way that burnt toast does. And then the rest of it's down to your brewing. The most overlooked piece of equipment is a scale. The same way that you know for a cyclist, if you had this whole time been using speed to figure out how hard you're working, and there's obviously a lot more going on. That's the same thing that happens when you try to measure coffee by volume. Scale is way, way better. That goes a long way. And then if it's ground well, that makes a huge difference also. So if you're going to spend money on two things, a scale and a grinder. Now, I'm intrigued, actually. Take it a step further now. So we've got a scale and we've got a grinder. What next? Do I just you know measure out and put it in my drip with a certain amount of water? Or like, so where do we go next? Keep making that great cup of coffee because I'm taking notes too. Absolutely. So I would say if you were going to design the perfect home setup for just someone that wants a really good cup of coffee, you'd start with great coffee that's roasted well. And there are great options out there. I'd like to think we're we're among them. But then you're going to weigh the right amount of coffee. You're going to put it through a great grinder. So something like a Baratza Encore is a really great home grinder at an okay price. And then honestly, a Bonavita eight cup drip automatic coffee brewer is going to get you a fantastic cup every time. And I really recommend something along those lines. There's plenty of manual brewing options out there that you can get into pour overs or an AeroPress or really go down some rabbit holes on things like espresso. But just a good home brewer like the Bonavita, it's a little over a hundred bucks, is going to get you a cup of coffee that you're excited to drink in the morning. But I love my Jura. (laughs) 
Yeah, there are great other machines out there. And I mean, if you take a look at my kitchen, which the last month I've been doing uh, some brew alongs every morning on Facebook, so you can see my kitchen. I have just about every brewer known to man for the last 200 years sitting in my kitchen right now. And I love to play with them all and, and experiment with them and collect data from them. But ultimately, sometimes I just want to come downstairs and push the go button and have a really good cup of coffee. And I think a good drip brewer is the best way to get at that. So what's the secret on the grinder? So grinding comes down to consistency. The goal of the grinder is to get the biggest particle it spits out and the smallest particle it spits out to be as close to the average as possible. Because the further those are apart, if you've got really big pieces and really small pieces, like you would get out of using a little whirring blade spice grinder, the more disparate the extraction you're going to get from the coffee. So if you try to extract a really big boulder, it's going to taste sour. If you try to extract a little tiny piece of dust, it's going to be bitter. And what's in the middle is going to taste good. So the less big sour stuff and small bitter stuff you have, the better cup you're going to get. Most grinders at home are going to be a conical grinder. They're all going to say that. What you really end up deciding on is how good and how big the burrs are, and then just how easy it is to use and adjust and what the customer service is like, which is why one of my Barazza grinders downstairs is maybe eight years old. And I've replaced just about every part on it because I've worn them out and it's still just been fantastic. So that's why I like to use them. So if you have somebody listening right now, one of our athletes said, has a tendency to stop at a Starbucks each morning. And nobody can see Alan's face right now when I said that (laughs) because we're here on audio. But if they normally stop at a Starbucks and they either get a rude cup of coffee or they get something with an espresso in it, your parting shot, what from Perk Coffee should they get that would make that just taste like it was nothing? If you don't have any coffee brewing gear at home, you're relying on Starbucks to get you coffee. We've actually made instant coffee out of our really great coffee that to me is mind-blowingly good. And I would say get a packet of Perk Instant Craft Coffee, the Brazilian one. I think you'll be amazed. If you do brew at home and you're just looking to kind of take your first foray into more of the newer wave of craft coffee, just our Brazil is a great, great entry coffee that I think is really approachable before you get into some of the super crazy stuff like our limited release coffees. It's almost like I'm talking to somebody at a winery and explaining all the different wines that they have. You know, Chill, I was doing a little research on, like, you know, I'm, I'm well-versed in the science of caffeine and not well-versed on the science of coffee. So I was watching some of Alan's morning videos. They're very interesting. You know, it's fun to watch him in the kitchen, but he plugs a lot of good science into it. For example, the elevation that the beans are picked from, the location in the world, you know, the process by which those beans undergo their preparation before they're roasting, all of that plays into how that delivery system changes and makes a delicious cup of coffee. You know, for a data guy like myself, it's a world that opened up to me that I had no idea. And, and of course, since we're all in quarantine, trying to find something to do, you know, brewing 17 cups of coffee a day is uh, turning out to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, just remember that back in uh, 2004, WADA actually had a requirement that if you had more than eight espresso, then more than likely you're going to pop positive for caffeine. So I'm glad that rule has gone away. So this comes up a lot, and I'd like Alan to actually answer this or comment on it. So I see in a lot of books, nutrition textbooks, you know, one cup of coffee is equal to 80 milligrams of caffeine. And when we say it's a strong cup of coffee or a weak cup of coffee, most of us amateurs are referring to the caffeine content. I don't think that's correct. But Alan, do you have a couple comments on that? Like, what is the difference between a strong and a weak cup? And in your understanding, just an average shot of coffee made in a normal way, 
Is it right to say about 80 to 100 milligrams of caffeine? So a couple of things on that. One, most people aren't consuming one cup in terms of the actual eight ounce cup of coffee when they consume it. So that ends up throwing things off a bit. In terms of the caffeine content, there's a lot of back and forth about how dark it's roasted, having more or less caffeine. There's a little bit of things that happen in that process where essentially it becomes more concentrated and less concentrated in caffeine. But really what we're talking about when we say strength is the amount of coffee stuff in the liquid of coffee. So for example, in a brewed cup of coffee, about one and a half percent of the total volume of that cup or total mass of that cup is actually coffee. And the other 98 and a half percent is water. When you use that same amount of coffee to make espresso, you should have about 10% of the stuff in that cup being actual coffee stuff and the other 90% being water. And technically, when we talk about strength, it's what percentage of that total cup is coffee stuff. And humans are extremely, extremely sensitive to deviations from what they're used to tasting, which is why we don't brew much between espresso and brewed coffee. So you would sense very, very keenly the difference between a cup that's 1.4% coffee stuff and one that's 1.6% coffee stuff because it's a deviation from what you're used to one side or the other. And when most people refer to a strong cup or a weak cup, it's really that small of a difference of 1.6% of what's in the cup is coffee or 1.4%. And that's where the scale comes into play that I mentioned earlier. If you're someone that likes the mouthfeel of a stronger cup, a heavier cup, you're going to brew at a ratio of water that's about 15 times as much as the weight of the coffee you put in. If you're someone that likes a a quote-unquote weaker cup, you're going to want to do that closer to 17 grams of water per gram of coffee. Wow. All right. So Alan, Jim mentioned that you're doing this on a daily basis on Facebook. Where do we find you on Facebook? It's just at Perk Coffee or facebook.com slash perkcoffee, P-E-R-C. Excellent. So I'm going to start tuning in and hopefully everybody else will. Well, I want to greatly thank Jim for coming in to give us the discussion on the nutritional values. Alan, thanks for making us smarter on just a cup of coffee. Dana, thank you for making your cup of coffee. For making my cup of coffee this morning, but for coming in. We can't wait to get our next cup of perk coffee. Thanks, Alan. Thanks so much, guys. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. As Alan would say, drink it fresh. You have the endurance. You have the perseverance and motivation. And now you have a coach. For more information from today's podcast, check the episode notes. If you have any questions regarding this episode, drop them in the comment section or send them on Twitter to at What's Up Podcast or email Coach Chuck at Chuck at KyleCoaching.com. This is the What's Up Podcast. Till next time.